And welcome back to Pagan World Radio. And I am so excited to have uh, H. Byron Ballard. Uh, we are that uh, here in the present talking about what's rising, the subject of where we're going and the tower time. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about tower time and other things we should be looking forward in 2024. So hold on to it. This is going to be a little bit of an unvarnished, uncensored <laughs> conversation. And just like the other ones we have been doing, uh, this is about getting out the voices. And I think the big issue also for a lot of is the women issues. I mean, there are men issues too. I'm not trying to designate the only women issues, but they highly impact women as we've been talking about. We've talked about abortion rights, health rights. We've talked about a lot of this, but Byron Ballard has a better understanding of this and she is tower time. She's been talking about this for a very long time. You've seen the interviews, but I'm so glad, glad to have you, Byron. Yeah, it's so good to be here. Always fun to have a conversation with you. Wait, did I say fun? I mean, sometimes it's fun. Mostly well, it's fun. Head, head scratching and shaking our fists. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, before we started recording, y'all, uh, Ed and I were saying, so how you doing? How you doing? And we were doing, you know, we know each other well enough that we're honest with each other. Which is really, I mean, it's a blessing in my life to have somebody that I can just be completely open and honest with. So grateful for that. But yeah, I've been talking about Tower Time. I, I tried to pinpoint when that first vision happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it was 1998, might have been 1999, but it was in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'd been an out pagan, pagan for since the 80s. And had been an out witch longer than that. And and I really do distinguish between those two things because my magical practice, my witchcraft practice, is not for me a religious thing. It's a it's a folk tradition that I follow. My family's been here for many generations. And and it it comes out of my Appalachian, deep Appalachian roots. But the pagan thing, that's that's religion for me. And I use the word pagan as a lot of people did coming up in the in the 80s, I guess 70s and 80s. Um, and now I am usually, I am more likely to call myself an animist because I think that's a little clearer. These 40 years later, it's clearer to say what animism is because we have been fighting about the word pagan for a long, long, long time. But what happened in the late 90s is that I was in a local house of faith, I will say. Um, and we were doing kind of a meditative process. And I remember standing in front of a banner that was on the wall of one of the, on one of the walls in this auditorium. And I, and I lost myself. And I don't even remember what the banner was because I wasn't seeing the banner. I was seeing where we are, where we're going. Uh, yeah. And I, I stood there for so long that some friends of mine came over and said, wow, what are you looking at? That's really interesting. And I didn't respond. And they kind of poked me, you know, how friends will do They kind yeah. of punched me in the arm and said, you okay. You okay. And I, then I came back to where I was, but I had the image then, and I've been reading cards the more than half a century. And I had the image of the falling tower in the tarot and that we were stepping in to a time 
when we were going to experience that not metaphorically we were going to physically experience the falling of hierarchical systems and we were going to we were going to see that now it, it i i say it that it was a a vision and it was a vision but it was also this really visceral gut experience of we were going to be either at the top of the tower, ready to jump. We were going to be at the ground level, having already fallen or jumped. But the whole image was around the image of the falling tower from the tarot deck. So I, I just, I prayed about that. I meditated about it. I did all that stuff. And I started referring to it as tower time, that we are currently and I think it had begun before I had my vision, actually. We're living in a time when any system that is hierarchical, that is that is designed top-down, is imploding. And when I first was saying this, people were like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you know, it's going to be hard times. Yeah. It was a kind of, I mean, they, people loved me and they were gentle with me, but nobody really believed it. So then we had 9-11 and mm -hmm. some people came to me and they went, well, that, that feels like an omen that you have been talking for these five years or whatever about tower time. And now we see actual collapsing towers. Okay, sure. Well, I just kept writing essays about it and um, you can access those at my website which is myvillagewitch.com. And they are called the Tower Time Documents, uncut. So they're not edited. They just kind of poured out of me. And I started writing about where we are, what is unfolding around us, and the opportunities that we have as a culture within the dominant culture, but also separated for the, from the dominant culture what our obligations are, what our possibilities are, because it, yes, it's a horrible thing to even contemplate, but it, it creates for all of us incredible opportunity if we are ready to seize the opportunity. So that became my soapbox for so many years. I just talked about, we gotta be ready, we gotta be ready. When these systems fail again, and they failed countless times over human history, and every time we go back to that same structure, that same top-down structure, and we do that because it is, uh, it is easy to recreate, it is pretty solid, takes a lot to shake a top-down structure, and we have a fantasy that all we have to do is really replace the bad guy on the top of the structure. And we, we do that again and again. So we cut off the heads of the Bourbon king and queen, and we get rid of all the royalty in France. And then what is it? Half a generation later, we have Napoleon. It's the same thing. So we got rid of those bad guys and the funny wigs, but we got this guy with the hat on sideways. Okay, but he's better. He's a better guy. The problem again and again is the structure. Mm 
The problem is not who's on top. The problem is not who's on the bottom. The problem is the structure because it's so solid, so easy to maintain and so easy to replicate. And we keep doing it because we don't have a lot of good examples of anything other than that. So what had to happen and did not happen, by the way, what needed to happen is that we had to start creating the structure we needed to see. Because if we wait until the towers have fallen, we will rebuild them. And we have done it again and again and again. And we will do it again because we didn't listen. We didn't understand that we needed to change the structure, that the only way you get a, an egalitarian society in which everyone benefits and everyone works to the best of their abilities and to their strengths, the only way you get that is by challenging and creating new systems. And we have been too afraid to do that. We've been too preoccupied with the crap that preoccupies humans all the time. And some of it is the genuine what we need as human beings to survive. We are preoccupied with raising our children. We are preoccupied with putting food on the table, with having a roof over our heads, with having water and warmth. But we also, we, especially, and I'm speaking now to the pagan slash heathen sets of communities. And I'm being careful <laughs> about my language about that because we are so, so picky about the linguistics of who we are. We are much more picky about the linguistics of who we are than the ethics of who we are. We spend way more time bitching and complaining because someone hurt our feelings or someone insulted us when the insult, the insult probably wasn't even intentional. Mm -hmm. When what we should have been doing was looking at the systems that we had been living under and creating new systems. And we have not been capable of doing that in a large enough number. I don't want to say no one's doing it because some people are at least attempting it. But agree. not enough. I not enough. I have a great, even my own tradition, the Corellian tradition, we were ended up being hierarchical and a single heart attack of that drag the entire tradition i am i'm free to talk about this um i'm independent i'm still Krellian. i'm the Krellian clergy number four but i hold no official positions at the end of this year um because i stepped away one of the young leadership but you know don had it we had a, a first priestess step in we decided she was going to change everything she was going to be the cult leader we had enough of a democracy in place that we were able to to remove her but at great cost you know it was a great cost and you know we're one of the more solid traditions, at least I thought so, and we still are. I mean, uh, we have, you know, the leadership has taken over. It's a millennial generation. I hope they've learned some lessons. But yeah, we ended up being hierarchy. And what are we replacing it with? More hierarchy. It, it really appears that we are now replacing that hierarchy with more hierarchy, and not expanding our d democratic systems that we have in place. So it was a, it was a tremendous learning experience and disappointment. But it also brings us to. The idea that that's what all we're doing. Every one of these traditions are either so decentralized they can't do anything because they won't recognize each other or so hierarchical that they have to be in charge of everything. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we have been living 
for conservatively speaking, 6,000 years under these dominating systems. And I, I, I keep asking people and begging people to read Rian Eisler's Chalice and the Blade mm-hmm. and the work she has done with the difference between power with and power over, because we rarely see power with modeled. And it's hard for us, for most of us, it's hard for humans to imagine something that they've never seen. So even if we read the fantasy of our time, the the fantasy novels of our time, we still are looking at hierarchy after hierarchy. And we it's hard for us to even imagine, imagine a world where that's not the case. Um, so for 25 years, let us say, we could have been brainstorming that. We could have been thinking about that. We could have been uh, role-playing that. We mm-hmm. could have used the gaming systems that, that so many people are addicted to. Mm-hmm. We could have been working out in virtual time how this could look, how this em- this empire could fall and while another one, the egg is cracking for the new world. Mm-hmm. We could have been doing all of that. But what have we done in the last 25 years? What have we done? Now, that's a good question. I mean, for me, one of the actions I took that did make a difference is that I made information more free. I've been an advocate yes. is that we have free information. And I say it all the time. And part of what I'm doing next, the only thing I can do to hope to make a difference is educating our children. That's it. Education, taking control of our education. Who pays for education? Who sets this education? Sets the overculture. People get mad at me for saying this, but it doesn't matter who it is. That's why you don't really have a choice of your religion at birth or your nationality at birth or any of those things because you get plopped down in the lottery game. You know, Like any good game, you just get plopped down where you're at, whether it be in Kentucky or Iran or England or China. And immediately you have to be programmed. And people look at me so strangely says, no, children have to be programmed. In the first year, it's all about language, movement, learning you know, the individual things that makes them able to survive within that world. As soon as they start walking and getting a little bit more ignored, they have to be able to function in that. And then yeah, yeah. For, the, for the next couple of years, they're allowed to do almost any sort of thinking they want, imaginary thing, but they have to learn the culture. So it's not like we have a free choice of our original culture. That's the hardest part for people. And they get mad at me. So when people say, oh, I don't want to educate my children. Well, you're adding to that hierarchy because you're paying. You don't want to teach them your religion. You don't want to teach them their faith. And he says, OK, other people will. And now we're facing that. I mean, we're facing right. that aspect. Hmm? That's exactly right. And and I fought that battle. My daughter is now 32. Mm-hmm. And we came home from the hospital when she was born. Three days later, there was a full moon, and I raised her naked body above my head to the mm-hmm. full moon, and I pledged her, mm-hmm. knowing that when she became a fully functioning human being, she might go, oh, hell no, I, I really want to be a Methodist like my great-grandmother. It'll be fine. But but my whole point was I wanted to give her the religious education for the spirituality that I follow so that she had a grounding in something. And if she chose at a later date to, to break away from that, that would that was fine with me, actually. 
I say that thinking about some of the things she could have chosen that she didn't. But I felt it was important that she have a grounding in my spirituality. Because if she was left unmoored, Mm -hmm. then she would be open to anyone with any kind of charisma who decided to fill her little empty spirit with whatever crap they wanted to pour into it. At least this way, she had a fighting chance of knowing something about the world around her and the spirit-filled world around her. So that's what I did. And to this day, she is exactly what she has always been. Mm-hmm. She's been a wild animist. Uh, she is a, She's more Marxist than thou. I've told that so many times. I worried because I, I was an, I, I have been an out pagan and witch for so long that I really worried that her rebellious teenage years, she would become a cheerleader and a Baptist and a Republican, but she didn't. The way she rebelled is that she became more Marxist than I am. And she will say to me sometimes, oh, mom, don't fall for that. That's just late stage capitalism. You know that as well as I do. Mm-hmm. So, so the. So the, she became a bit of a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, me imparting to her what I know gave her a place to stand so that she could go from there so that she wasn't floundering. She wasn't wandering. Here we go. She wasn't wandering in the wilderness waiting mm-hmm. for the cry of John the Baptist. She she knew at least a system that worked for her mother and had worked for her mother's friends and her aunties, her all her moms all that time. And I think it's a mistake to go, oh, no, I don't want to... Im- impose my religion on my children well why not i mean if it's something you love and hold dear don't you want to share that with your children no. and then like let them make, let them make a decision and um i did much the same thing i have a militant atheist for a son he's talked people out of their religion and my daughter's agnostic she recognizes there might be something out there but she doesn't um and um, she allows me to talk with my grandchildren, but she doesn't allow me to indoctrinate. She, she crosses the line. So they know about fairies, but they really don't know how entangled I am with fairies. And my oh. daughter laughs. That'll be for later. Um, but they have some understanding. Um, I know a person, an individual who who's now their son is 25 years old. They didn't refuse to really raise him a religion. He joined his friend into a Southern Baptist church that says, you don't want him there. Right? And they found out his parents were witches, so what? They didn't care, or they said, today he is a minister out of Moody Bible Institute, hmm? as severe as you can get. And he won't talk to his parents. And I said, this happened because, in part, you didn't give him any chance to have anything to fight. So when the church pastor went at him, his friends went at him at school every day, and then they realized he was unstructured, he didn't have any good arguments. It's like, you're ridiculous, or, you know, that's I don't want that. They gave yeah. a structured yeah. environment. And while I love the unstructured ideas that we give to our children and have them play and imagine, I think that a lot of that's good. We don't give them enough structure to paradigm the world, structure the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and my daughter's a Taurus. She loves structure. And it was important that she have something she could push against. Mm-hmm. But it was also important for her to have that kind of security blanket of, I have this thing. 
Mm-hmm. And she wore a pentacle for years and years and years. She got to high school where the cool kids started wearing pence and she took hers off. She wouldn't wear it. And she said, because I don't want people to think that I'm the same thing that they are. And yeah, so that was a, a decision she made, but she's never stopped being a witch mm-hmm. and she's never stopped being a pagan. I don't, she might not use that word anymore, but mm-hmm. it's still the way, it's still her worldview. Absolutely. So- Absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and get into a very timely thing, and then I want to get into 2024, because I think there's a lot of issues. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But today was probably a Tower Time moment. I really feel that way. Yesterday, you (laughs) you were the first one to find it. You found the article in The Atlantic. You were the first person I saw it. I copied over yours. It was, you know, Return of Paganism. It was put up by a rabbi. And not to get too deep into it, he went very old-fashioned, just like anything that's not this thin line of monotheism, this sort of old world, almost Mosian attitude towards it, I would call it. For those who don't know me, it means for the Book of Moses, that's the idea that's the very strict idea of what monotheism is, Judaism, Islam, Christianity is. And even practitioners of those religions aren't really practitioners of religion. And they went after wealth they went the rabbi went after wealth they went after everything that is a negative aspect you know the article pretty well but i just want to give it uh and there's been and and at that moment he basically slammed the concept of godlessness within our system that everything we're doing is godless but he used the word pagan instead of godless right well what he meant was that we're all godless and and we're sinners and all that like an old-fashioned prophet that's what he was doing. People don't really recognize. He was trying to be an old-fashioned prophet, bringing his people to their knees by showing them their faults. Hmm? Right. And he really meant it for another audience. Right? Once you go, if you wanted to say, what would you say, you know, that article, then we'll get into why well, it's that Tower Time moment for us. It It absolutely is on so many levels, a Tower Time moment. It it threw me right back to the 1980s, though, mm-hmm. when we spent a lot of time explaining to people the difference between a capital P pagan and a lowercase p pagan. Mm-hmm. Because the word pagan had come down for hundreds of years to be someone who was not Abrahamic, mm-hmm. who was not a monotheist. Mm-hmm. Though, frankly, for Christianity to consider itself a monotheistic religion is laughable, mm-hmm. but that's a that's a discussion for another day. So in the eighties, we were always explaining to people, no, 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 pagan pagan is a an earth based religion, follows the cycle of the seasons. We generally speaking believe in a multiplicity of deities, and we used to laugh and say, oh, you when you say godless pagan. <laughs> We don't even know how to respond to that because we have so many deities Mm -hmm. that you should call us God-full pagans, not God-less pagans. Mm -hmm. Ha, 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 ha. We spent time again and again in interfaith circles and outside of interfaith circles explaining what the word meant, Mm -hmm. explaining the roots of the word, explaining where it came from. And then we, we had the break then with heathenry. So the people who were practicing heathenry did not want to be referred to as pagans. So we started branching out in some of the language we used about 
what we were doing. But the point was, and the rabbi didn't understand this because he is frankly stuck in 1985, is that there are groups of religions that refer to this, themselves as pagan. And he wasn't talking about pagan religions. He was talking about pagan societies, ancient pagan societies, and the libel and the, and the slander that primarily Christianity, but all the monotheistic religions have tarred us with that brush of being hedonists who care nothing about ethics, who have no sense of personal responsibility, who only think about this moment right now. And, and I mean, we don't even believe in hell. How could we possibly be controlled? Well, that's actually the point, is that we're not controlled. We shouldn't be controlled. As human beings, we don't want to be controlled. Mm -hmm. So this the article in The Atlantic, which was poorly written, and it was certainly poorly researched, has has lit a, a fire, a big bonfire in the pagan community. A lot of people responding, a lot of people way smarter than me, mm -hmm. talking way more claptrap about how important it is that that people uh, that he understand that this rabbi understand. Well, this rabbi doesn't need to understand. We need to understand. We need to understand that we live within these social media and often social bubbles. Mm -hmm. And that outside that little bubble where everybody knows what the word pagan means, everybody knows what the word heathen means, is a great number of people who don't know what either one of those words means. So they are happy to go, well, pagan just means non-Christian, right? And then we have to explain it again. So as I've said countless times, getting involved in interfaith work as a member of one of these religions will be important for the people you encounter because they will understand that pagan means the way you define it. And those definitions sure. are legion. But basically it means you follow usually an earth-based religion and you have a multiplicity of divinities mm -hmm. and that's kind of the baseline for that and people can understand that mm -hmm. but this whole article is not about paganism as a religion so he doesn't need to understand that paganism is a religion someone at harvard has already said in you know they're like well, neo-pagans right i pointed out harvard has a tremendous this is a teacher not a student and that right, harvard you've right. spoken you personally have spoken on Appalachian yes. folk magic, and tons of people have spoken there. So this, they're all trying to make it that this man is incompetent or stupid, which was nothing of the sort. No, and he's a visiting chaplain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's at not, the divinity at the divinity school. So he knew what he was saying. I mean, he may not have done oh. it at all, but he knew. Yeah. And it was from and and and, and you know, the fact is, it was an attack on the right as well as you know the parts of the left. It was called the people. He you know, named Donald Trump, who evangelicals claim is their own. Elon Musk, which is a deeply known atheist. Hmm? He believes that if God is there, he wants to find him. I mean, Elon Musk in his <laughs> early days answered that. He says, I'm hoping to find him someday. And he even put out, if God exists, he must be a, a, a Rocconi brain, 
which is a really highly scientific term of if you really know physics, he thinks God must be a Broconi brain and just a fold of space yeah. coming together. I mean, so these two men do not represent in any way a, a, a pagan philosophy. Except no, that no, not at all. Not at all. But but the point for me and the community getting all riled up is, is that our community needs to look around it and see that there are people that still don't know what and who we are. Well, after I... all these books, after Llewellyn spitting out a mm -hmm. thousand books a year, people like this rabbi don't read those books. Mm -mm. No one outside our little bubble reads these books. So, so they don't know. All they know is they see at Halloween, they see a whole bunch of women with pointy hats, and that means they're witches. They don't know more than that, and they don't need to know because half of the time, our community doesn't even know what it is. Right. So this is an opportunity for us to learn by teaching if we will do that. But we won't. We will. The phrase I was using on Twitter is that it's like it's like a salt mill of outrage. And we just keep grinding it mm -hmm. and grinding it and grinding it. And we're outraged and we're outraged. But we never turn around and look at ourselves and go, how is it that the great mass of the country we live in doesn't know who the hell we are? Because we only preach to the choir. And so I go to a festival and I talk to people of all sorts of quote unquote pagan spiritual mm -hmm. paths. And yay, they understand I do Appalachian folk magic and goddess worship. Those are my two things. But am I am I talking to large organizations that aren't pagan about what I do? No. Who is? Who in our community is talking to the Chamber of Commerce? Who's talking to the Rotary Club? Who is talking to any of those groups about what we are and what we do? I know about a dozen Very people. few people. I know about a dozen. So they don't know us. So we all know each other. Right. But again, so it's me preaching to the choir again. I need to go outside of my church Mm -hmm. I need to go outside. I need to open the big doors and I need to go out and I need to talk to people in the street and say, this is what we do. I agree. If we want people to know, that's how we have to do it. We can't keep talking to each other or ourselves. I, and I agree. And I saw our own community today. I challenged them on their number. I, I believe that we have, we're seeing another house of cards, a tower of cards, to, to put it very tower of cards, yes. Yeah, it yes. is. And they were talking about numbers and the idea that we have all these numbers talking to each other. And I said, prove it. And one of the statements is, well, it means anyone who's not, you know, Christian, Muslim, or uh, Judas is a pagan. And I said, that is a huge insult to the Hindu, Sikh, Jain, and Buddhist communities who've asked us to stop this because they see yes. that as because they see that as colonial language and they have their own name for themselves. And yet when we want to defend ourselves, we want to include them all in our fight, not just our own right. people. And then I said, where was the, today I saw maybe two dozen replies across the internet. People are sending them to me, all beautifully written, all full of outrage, all going to be sent to the Atlantic. And it says, really? I mentioned to one person said, we should buy an ad to review. Yeah, if they're not going to do it, can we buy it? I've actually got a call in, to the sales office of Atlantic hmm? to see if we can buy an editorial page. And people don't realize yeah. you could do that. Yeah. Hmm? Of course you could. 
And then we could of- buy we could buy a page of the New York Times. Right. And but we don't. We don't have enough. Yeah. No. And so when we talk about these numbers, I mean, there's a lot of numbers being passed around. Several million, million and a half, two million. And I saw another one of those hypocrisies go, well, we got to be bigger than this. So you can't prove it. I said, you can't put 100,000 people together to sign a petition. That would somebody would notice. If we have these numbers, it right. should be, if we send the Atlantic 100,000 saying, we need you to repudiate this, not dozens of separate actions, but one big petition. You can't yeah. do it. And they go and they try to weasel way out of that. And at the end of the day, it says, and somebody said, there's 100,000 Alexandrians. I said, prove it. And that was a big thing for me in interfaith because of Dirk Fika, one of the early executives, says we didn't belong in the Parliament of the World Religions of the Second, uh, Second Parliament, because we didn't have the numbers. And he said, well, what's the numbers? I, the young, naive 30 year old who, like, what do you mean? We have 135,000 according to the Pew Report. And you go, okay, you say that. Show me your membership list. He goes, what do you mean? He says, the UN wants to see a membership of a list of 100,000 to be more than an asterisk in their census. Yeah. yeah. And I, he, was, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't being cruel. He wasn't trying to put us down. He says, this is the way the world works, which is why I built Wedge School and other things to get those numbers. A few years ago, we had, it worked for us, uh, that we had the idea of the Peggy Credit Union. And they needed to get 3,000 signatures for people to use it. Six months later, they didn't. And we sent in a letter for them and we were accepted. They haven't moved forward with the project for various reasons, but they couldn't bring 3,000 people together across what supposedly is millions with Oberon and Selena and all of them infighting because they didn't want, you know, because they didn't see the credit union as important, not as something that would have been really great for our community but they couldn't get yeah. 3,000. So again and again, we see this idea of this fallacy of that we have so many numbers, but when it comes to proving it or using them, it falls apart. I mean, it might as well blow, you know, it doesn't even take a hard win. It just takes a finger just to break it apart. At least I feel that way. So having said that, I'm hearing now, let's go ahead and talk about the, the big events. Next year, American... Four billion people are going to vote next year, not just us. Half the planet is going to vote in some form of democracy next year. Yes. Uh-huh. And yes, and I hope I hope you are thinking of democracy in, in quotes. I mean, in that they, will of, have, they will have some yeah. form of election. <laughs> Good, better. <laughs> yeah, there is going to be elections for various positions, whether they are, you know, whether there are, Whatever the ultimate structure of their governments, they're going to allow people to at least pretend to put out their thinking. And at least in the United States, I believe that we do have fair elections. Everything has proven to me that we have fair elections. I've always said if we ever tampered with that, we would we would have real problems. Yeah. We're seeing it. And I'm going to hear two things. One, uh, as we heard earlier from Marianne Kay, you have to vote. And if you don't vote, it's it's really important to vote because this is going to be that then. And the second thing is, is that the issues that are up are really important. Women's issues, primarily women's issues. There are other issues, but it's literally life and death for women, this next election. It, it is. And I have been positing since the, uh, the Dobbs decision mm-hmm. that women are no longer full American citizens. We are three-fifths citizens because we are the only group in the country that does not have full physical autonomy. We and, just don't. And 
I'm literally, let me go ahead and say it. I'm literally a, a white male who used my autonomy when I was 30 years old to get a vaccine, you know, uh, a vasectomy. Because my, right. because then my wife, uh, my then wife was a, definitely allergic to birth control pills. Right. Our, our second daughter almost killed her. She had, you know, fetal heart attack, you know, on the verge of a fetal heart attack. And the mom was going into that. So she couldn't have any more children. And if she got pregnant again, she'd either be facing an abortion or carrying carrying a child to term that could have killed her. Hmm? And so she went to go have her tubes tied and they refused. I mean, they had hard. And I walked into the same doctors within an hour and said, hey, my my insurance is going to end this. I need a vasectomy. I'll do it. Hmm? And guess what? I was in the it was in the doctor's office the next day. Hmm? And you had a, a a three pound bag of peas to take care of the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not saying that I shouldn't have done that or that it should have been easy for me, but it should have been just as equally for her. Yeah, that well, and that, and that opens up the whole can of worms about. Um, about health, health care, mm-hmm. that uh, most studies are done on men, they're not done on women, sure. so that that doctors don't know th- things about women that that they should know. And that is a whole other discussion that you should have with someone who is much more erudite about that. Mm-hmm. But the whole the whole point of controlling women's reproductive cycles, or making sure that women's reproductive cycles are uncontrolled is a way of controlling women. And it has been for thousands of years. So if women can decide when they have children, then that is always a threat to patriarchal systems, period, period. And and we ran into it because remember in the 60s, they were teaching everybody and we finally are doing it. According to the UN, we're finally doing it. We've accomplished it. We were needed to slow down the rate of growth and even possibly reverse it. And it looks like yeah. at the end of the century, it will. And how did we do it? Increase people out of poverty, handed them birth control, and and allow them family planning. And essentially, exactly. And essentially, everywhere we see increase in income, an increase of education, an increase in various types of family planning, we see the population slows down and more children survive to five years old, which is the huge benchmark. People don't realize yeah, you know, if you ever go, if you ever want to know what vaccines did and this all did, it's written in stone. You just have to go to any cemetery and start looking yes. for anyone who's five years old and younger who's got a tombstone. All, all you have to do is go to a cemetery and look for the lambs. <laughs> look for the little lambs. And <clears throat> as you get more and more into the twenty, you know, twenty twenty three, you see that almost not at all, very little. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're seeing, what we're seeing now, is a return to and the stripping away of women's basic rights in this country. So now they're going after the one of the two drugs that are used for a medical, a medicated abortion, medication abortion, and and after they do that, if they are successful with that, then they will go after birth control itself. Mm-hmm. Because what the dream of so many of these people is that they live under a theocracy, but they don't want a theocracy like the one in Iran, because that's the wrong religion. They mm-hmm. want a theocracy that's onward Christian soldiers. That's what they want. Even though if you if you simply open up the New Testament and read the words in red, 
you would not have any sort of indication that mm. that being is going to come back at the head of an army and destroy all of his enemies. You just don't. And yet that's what I was taught. Mm? Yes, of course it is. Well, mm. the conflation of the Old Testament God versus the gentle the gentle God of the New Testament. I don't know. You and I have had many discussions about Christianity, and, and I have nothing for monotheism, none of the monotheistic religions. I think that um, that for the most part, people like me, pagan people, should ignore them and mm-hmm. their teachings, and we should go back to older philosophers, and and we should look at nature, and we should listen to our own hearts and souls that again is another conversation, but we are looking next year, 2024. If there was peace on earth, everywhere on the planet was at peace and there was plenty and no children went to bed hungry. We would still be looking at the horror that is an American election. 2024 is going to drive all of us to the brink of madness. And I promise you that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this rabbi statement don't people don't realize it was a political statement. It was position. Yes, absolutely. And what I mean by that for folks, it means that they were beginning the assault on declaring anything that is not their own version of this theocracy they're trying to inflict, the dominionists and other people. I've been yeah, you know, I've been talking in my own way for a very long time. Um I'm at the pagan, so I'm I you know, there's no doubt of who I am. I mean, I go into crowds and I've 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 got slings and arrows, mostly from my own side. You know, I've got a target on my back, like a lot of us do, but it is that. What I'm worried about is that they're going to have a lot of leadership trying to value, uh, value, transmit, create, uh, what do they call it, um, virtue, you know, virtue broadcasting, their virtues that you should vote, you should vote. And in a way that doesn't make any sense to me because it's not like we have the numbers to make a difference. Except that the, the difference that every American voting does make a difference. But as a block, we don't back candidates. I mean, Pam Kelly was somebody who will be on tomorrow who did put her money where her mouth is. She works with the Democratic Absolutely. Party. And she ran for Absolutely. office. And she had her hard time. And somebody said, oh, if you got rid of the paganism, you could have probably won that race. Mm-hmm. And she was directly yeah. told, we're going to talk about that part of it and why you should vote and how to make a difference sure. with your voting. So we're not going to get into that much. But I'm afraid that people are deluded with this idea of our numbers or our cooperation or that we have any concentration on this. Yeah. You know, that, that somehow we, if we all vote together, and I learned in the 2016 election, we have a lot of red pagans, a lot of Republican pagans. Hmm? Absolutely, we do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's still out there on Pegasus Night Radio. If you ever look up the great debate, we had all five parties show up. It was shocking to me. Of how diverse. Wow. Wow. Uh, we did. Uh, we had the Greens, we had the Libertarians, we had the Republicans, we had the Democrats, and we had the Libertarians. Mm-hmm. Nice. It was a good debate. Um, one of the last, I think, debates that we could actually have where these people actually were polite to each other. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the other side of it. We And we see it in the pagan community, too, is that we're becoming impolite. We're unwilling to do so. And we should we, be employed. We yes. We in fact we certain aspects of our community pride themselves on being impolite. hmm And I can use of a lot speaking more. truth. Speaking their of truth. The truth. Yeah. Um, I think we should speak our truth and I think we should go out there and challenge this. 
and don't be bedazzled by people saying, oh, we have these great numbers. We're a couple of million, da, 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 da. Prove it. Let's show them the numbers. Um, but we are talking about another thing. And that way, I think there's, me and you have talked about this and I've committed myself and I've been putting it out there. And people have been yelling about churches. I'm trying to say, the term church is a legal preeminence of Christianity. If you ever want to see preeminence of Christianity in America, try calling your church, your religious organization, which is yet another definition by the IRS, separate of church. But if you want to call your center of worship by anything other than a church, it's not legally recognized. We use the preeminence in the law of breaking them all down to church. Now, they say they won't dictate what your church is. So you could be a synagogue. You could be an imam. You could be a mosque. You could be a temple. But at the end of the day, in the United States, you're a church. And with this mm -hmm. church, you have rights, a lot more rights. And you do. And one of the biggest things, I heard a Christian right expert who said, we need to stop this. They did. And he says, we have a crisis in our hands. If 10,000 to 15,000 people, these three to six person churches, all form their churches, put in their body of faith the rights that they want, such as body autonomy, you know, you know free designation, a lot of these things, non-discrimination. And we began to create laws against them. We would have a constitutional crisis, and then he yes. finished, and he said we'd have a constitutional crisis the way the laws are written. And you Republicans must change the laws to not allow this to happen. Hmm? <laughs> I mean, if this was a leader of our own community, I was like, and I didn't realize I had come on one of the one of my Republican watch right watch things. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And then he said, we must stop this. And I've been right, designating, right. I'm saying that we need a thousand more churches out in the United States right now. A couple hundred, a hundred that are in local areas, at least one per state that's going to willing to stand up so that they're local in order to be able to be in position to handle some of these laws. Now, this is a long-term action. It won't necessarily save us in the moment. But if we take our legal rights more seriously, but I'm hearing everybody, oh, we don't need a church. I literally had a leading pagan leader saying, my coven doesn't need a church. It doesn't aspect of it. Heck, I believe in COG and I believe in that, but I'm not a member. I wouldn't join my coven to COG or circle. Hmm? I, I wouldn't. I, it's, a, it's a thing I simply I don't understand. And, and I am, you know, as most people are in this country, surrounded by Christians. And I, I do have good good friends that sure. we have great discussions about how this is but the concept that that came up it was very large i guess in the mm -hmm. in the 90s was the idea of the house church mm -hmm. and the, it was a kind of decentralization when these big mega churches were on the horizon mm -hmm. of people saying, oh, no, 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 we we don't want to put money into a building, but we're going to designate a house church where a dozen people like the apostles can meet together and we can really change the world around us. And why can't, why won't pagan people do that? Because the word church scares them. I had a discussion as you did, I think, uh, with a with a pagan leader, mm -hmm. and she is organizing um, a nonprofit in order to raise money to buy land to do festivals. B brilliant, wonderful. Sure, I we think talk that's about a... this at every at every festival right. I go to. There's always a group of people saying, "Why don't we just raise a hundred thousand dollars and buy some land?" Everybody talks about it. 
And I said to her, well, make sure when you're organizing it, you organize as a church. And she went, what? Oh, no, 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 we would never do that. And I said, because if you are organized as a 501c, I can't remember what it Great. is. Uh, and but the, But there's a special designation, 501c3, something else that makes you specifically a church. Then you have the same rights as the Baptist church down the street. Mm -hmm. But if you are organized, if you just have your coven and we all meet at my house and it's all fine, then if you want to buy land, you're going to pay taxes on that land. But the Baptist church down the street, nah, zero. And the, on top of that, you're still going to have to form some sort of organization or it'll be personally owned by everybody and they can all be personally sued. Um, and a religious organization, so let's call them religious organizations. The IRS has a different designation called a 508-1D. And that means mm -hmm. your are a religious organization. Um, another reason I, I actually have this in my mind because I just finished this article about why I found churches, um, why we need legal structure. And that means for things that are not directly attached to church because unfortunately, pagan world is not a church. We're a religious right. organization. So I'm having to say, a 501c3 is not right for us. We can't we can apply right. for one, but we're not a church. We're not holding Sunday services. We're not holding a whole bunch. They have a long list. Check out the articles on Pagan World if you want to see the definitions. I have the entire document, a link to the entire document where it is. But that doesn't give me as much protection. It doesn't. And no, if I, if no, I were to use exactly. That, I mean, I have to I can get out of some taxes. But I still have to do more reporting of our equipment. So I'm looking at a peak corp, moving the Pagan World into a peak corp. Which yeah, is a, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. Benefits corp. That makes Be sense. Well, you know, I'm one of the founders of Mother Grove Goddess mm -hmm. Temple, mm -hmm. and we are a church. We're organized as a church. Mm -hmm. We have the bylaws and the ethics statements. We have all this stuff. We're a church. We're a church. We're a church. And sometimes people, they just feel that feels like too much organization for them. They, oh, too much structure, too much structure. And frankly, nothing will keep us safe. Nothing mm -hmm. will keep any of us safe. But that is one step closer to safety mm -hmm. than you have as just a group of people who meet on the full moon and the Sabbaths. Mm -hmm. it, it's right. one one more bit of safety. So people ask why this is important to me. So I'm going to say one of the reasons why I'm building Witch College, why I'm bringing in this idea of a trade school, I'm not fighting with the other groups of ministry. There's some great schools once in uh, that, Cherry Hill. You know, you can go yes, all the different. Absolutely. You've got terrific ministry groups to teach. Whether, uh, you know, whether anyone, you know, like uh, the Corellians, you know, they, they have witch school, which people say, oh, that's a silly day. But it is absolutely a serious seminary. Uh, you know, ATC. A lot of these have, and most groups have a good ministry program. Got it. But we're not teaching trades. We're not teaching our skills, you know, how to make money as a witch, how to, you know, what's, you know, the ethics of it, you know, you know, be a divination or herbalism or how to negotiate the law to do to do things or just be an advisor or a consultant, you know, to be creative. In the world of AI, witches should be supreme because we're used to talking to non-human entities. I tell this to people all the time. Witches, pagans in general, but witches especially, both religious and non-religious, believe in talking to non-human entities. Yeah, and we but, and we do it with great frequency. And great aplomb. What is AI but a non-human intelligence? We should be masters. And uh, well, I should... there's so 
Ed, there's so many things we should be masters of if we would just take our thumbs out of our asses and do it. So, But we are so busy infighting mm-hmm. over tiny points of protocol. We are so busy poor mouthing. Oh, I couldn't possibly afford that because, you know, I'm just a poor pagan. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate fucking capitalism as much as anybody else does. But the reality of where we live demands that we understand how to use our skills effectively. And and I guess I say that because Mother Grove, Goddess Temple, mm-hmm. is about to launch a capital campaign because we're going to build a building. We've been trying to build a building for 20 years. And we, when we first were envisioning this, we said we were going to build a temple. We were going to build a temple. But what we didn't understand was that building a temple was not about building a building. It was about building a community. It was about building a group of people who had a, a common vision about what the future could be. That's what the building of the temple was. And we have done that. And now we are ready to talk about land and buildings. You know, I, I'm so grateful for that. This year I was talking about building an elder care center, just a center. Yes, not, yes. And you and I a, keep talking about that. And not a nursing home, not a big medical thing, but just trying to f- build a small place where we can provide some care. And man, I got pushed back so hard on that. And I said, "We can be. You can't possibly do that. How could you do that?" And, you know, it was Danville, Illinois, where they, they were there, and that sort of thing. Even my own tradition pushed back hard on me. And we actually had a reason for it. We actually had our first member. And, uh, and wh- why do you think that is? Is it fear? Is it what? What is it? And for me, it was that one, the money. We couldn't possibly raise enough money. And I was talking about something fairly simple, buying a house, which is cheap in Danville, right? And, you know, providing some volunteer care and just kind of building a community around it, which we have there. Um, The second thing is, is that I think it is a commitment to responsibility. I think if you ask me what the community lacks today, it's willingness to take up responsibility. And that is something. So I got an award, uh, and I'm very grateful for a sacred uh, pagan path seminary and their group and they gave me the knowledge of uh, knowledge scrolls of knowledge and i was very really like oh okay and i was really kind of I'd be honest with everybody i was really contemptuous at first like oh somebody flattering themselves and they'll listen to the speech speech and the awards they gave out and they were good and honest and thoroughly thought out and what they pointed out is i didn't just build education systems for our online but i'm constantly building it for other people and that I really I do care. They said that I really do care. And it shows that I care about pagan education. Because I think that's the only thing of importance that we can do right now. It's one of the most important things. And I think we don't want to take responsibility. I Everybody asks me, who's which college for? And I say, it's Generation Alpha. What? They're babies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And everybody always asks me, who is the target audience for which goal? And that got changed by other people later. It was the 15-year-olds. You know, yeah. I wanted to make it available to the 15-year-olds that nobody would teach. Over and over again, I'm very believing that we have to reach our youth if we want to have any sort of future. So one last thing I think about next year. I think that – I do think that now we, we talk about women's issues and voting and all of those other things. But we also saw something this year I think is going to increase. So I think people got to get ready for it and figure out how they're going to react to it. And that was penetration. And the rabbi started it. And other people have also, Greg, uh, Pastor Greg out of Tennessee is right, right on top yeah. of there, which is burning books and 
declaring everything that's not his church, paganism and witchcraft. He had six yeah. witches in his church, which is the blood libel. Um, we saw uh, we saw Witchfest International get penetrated. I mean, literally penetrated with a cross. And I'm using the word penetrated. Their circle got penetrated by a cross. Yes. And for my opinion, that was rape. That was a psychological rape. And and that happened uh, in Salem during during most, uh, Halloween during Salem on October thirty first. They basically yeah. penetrated with a cross their inner circle. Yeah, you can't get more symbolic of rape than that. No, no, no. And, and the police didn't stop them. The police didn't stop them there. You start uh, start Ravenhawk in New York. The police didn't stop them there. We now uh, I we had. I love uh, Lucy Jamison, Captain Lucy Jamison, because she stopped them from penetrating uh, uh, Pagan Pride of Nashville, kept them out, kept them from using the microphones. Right. She contained them, but that was a very strong-willed person who knew their laws. Um, we saw it in Hesperia. We saw it in Alabama with the Hesperia shop last year. This year, they, yep. they took the procedures. They had a successful event. Uh, Willow and Moon got pushed out of Rossville, Illinois, when they tried to do um, a LGBTQ day. They barely tolerated them as witches, and I have a personal interest in that because Rossville is where we had, was had our headquarters got pushed out, and she ended up having to leave that. And so, I think that in a lot of ways, what this rabbi did, what all of these individuals are doing, we're going to see on a larger scale. Absolutely, and, and and for people like you and me who have been doing this for a long time we've experienced this mm -hmm. so we need to have the information available if somebody's doing a pagan pride day mm -hmm. we need to be able to say to them okay here here are the scenarios that are possible and what you can do about it the most effective thing i have seen was at philadelphia pagan pride and they had they had people playing like tubas and great big loud instruments that surrounded the protesters. They had aluminum foil over cardboard mirrors so that they were showing those protesters what they looked like and they were hearing this very loud sound. So there are ways to control and contain these protests, but we have to be ready for them. You can't expect that the police are going to come, <clears throat> excuse me, or the sheriff's department because they just may not come. Mm -hmm. They may not come and help you. So how are you going to handle that? And who are you going to call? How are you going to set up your own security? Festivals sometimes have security. I don't know how effective it is at keeping people out. It's more effective at rounding up drunks and making sure they get back to their tents. But what kind of security are we going to need at a week-long fest pagan festival if the local Christians decide that's what they're going to attack? We need and, to think about it. We need to have plans in place now, now, before yeah. somebody dies. I agree. And if none of the festivals do this, if festivals aren't warning their people, you're going to see a lot of people. Festivals will die because of this because people will be going, I'm not going to take that risk. As much as exactly. I love them, I don't know what their security looks like. All it takes is one event to knock out. And, and so it's never the one event. So I always tell people this, and, you, and this is something that they don't understand. And this tower time, it's never the one event that is damaged. It's all of the other potential lines of that event. You yeah, know, it's a cumulative effects. So once that event gets attacked, it doesn't matter. It could be 
nothing almost, right? It could be Indianapolis. I'm not wishing this on anybody, but it could happen there. Then everybody else in the Midwest won't go to their local Chicago event or their New York event or anything else for fear that that could happen there. So if we don't answer that, yeah. it is. So I think that's a very important thing. So I think a lot of ways, so I'm hoping that pagans look at themselves more as a uh, nation, more as a people, more as an organization across the world. We've done that to a certain degree. We saw that at the parliament. And that they start mm -hmm. creating support systems amongst themselves. Yes, exactly. And so I want to leave um, this last week, because you've been saying, Everybody knows it. What does Byron say? Grounded, grounded shield, circles yeah. on the ground. And <laughs> get I think ground to get your shields up. But I also say circles on the ground. So mm -hmm. figure out who in your community, not your religious spiritual community, but who in your community supports what you're doing. Know who they are. Mm -hmm. Know who they are. So that when we started Mother Grove Goddess Temple, I had, I had a Baptist minister who contacted me and said, oh, we're so excited that you're doing this. Uh, but once you've built a building, come to me. I'm going to take you to my insurance guy because you have to have a really specific kind of insurance mm -hmm. for these kind of gatherings. So I'll take you to my guy and, we, and we'll work that out. Another um, Episcopal friend said, oh, my gosh, if you're going to build a building, you need to put an endowment in place immediately because we just had to replace the roof on our historic church, and it cost us a million dollars. I mean, I had all these wonderful mm -hmm. people not in my specific religion who were giving me helpful hints on what it meant to have a church, mm -hmm. which was hugely important to us. And I think people should be, first of all, once you get that out there, I'd love to talk to you about that. Once you're ready to really do the campaign financially and go. Yeah. Reach out. Yeah. We're going to be working that, that out uh, next month. We're going to be starting to work right. that out. And, you know, it's going to be, it will of necessity be a multi-year campaign. Absolutely. And then um, we live in a place where housing is out of sight. You can't buy, mm -hmm. you can't buy a shed in the area where I live we're under uh, $400,000. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. And I just I if if I could put a magic thought into every pagan's head, one magic thought it would be to to feel the strength of the earth under your feet mm -hmm. and to understand that we are capable anything anything is possible because we wield magic so in addition and behind and with us stand the divines and with us stand our ancestors but i but i don't think a lot of pagans actually believe that no I, I and if they did believe it imagine the power we could wield and i mean that power with not power over I and I agree with that, and so I'm, and we're going to and I continue with that. This is why I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this. Oh, it's been so good. Uh, MyVillageWitch.com. Um, you know, I could talk all night because it's I'm just so passionate about it. I really am. And I I am thankful for that. Um, and I th I do so, and I think that we will have more in the next year. But so so make sure you get out and vote. Believe in anything. Grounded shield local on things and most importantly 
What is the do some thing? interfaith work, all of that, all of but, that. Talk about who you are and what you do, so people aren't afraid of you. But you say to do one thing. But you say to do one thing over everything else every day, and that is, folks. And I just put out my forty spells for better, uh, forty spells for better magic. The book is coming out today. Um, okay. Do magic. Do magic. Stop this mundania. Do magic. I mean, I just had a book published in August called Small Magics, and mm -hmm. it is the building blocks for a good magical practice. Just do it. Just do it. And, it'll believe, change it. and believe that it really is a thing and not. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Well, Ed, thank you so much. This thank was you. so good. And uh, thank you, everybody. And tomorrow we'll be back with Pam Kelly talking more about how, how to get involved with politics. Yes, we're going to go there, too. Uh, and then we'll have more during the week. But today was Byron Bowden. We're so grateful to having you. Thanks, Peace. Ed.